can you sit down and really think about where you see your kiddo, your adolescent after this, where are they gonna be happy? Where are they gonna thrive? And is the diploma absolutely necessary? Hello, hello. So somebody recently said to me, Jessica, somebody just told me for the first time that getting your high school diploma for a kid with special needs is like a death sentence. And I said, oh goodness, we need to have a conversation. And so today's episode is all about how do you decide whether your child should get their high school diploma or not. In the state of California, if you don't get a high school diploma, you get to stay with your school district until you're 22 years old. That is the case for Ryan. We probably knew by the time he was in fourth or fifth grade how academically behind he was, how cognitively impacted he was, that he wasn't gonna get his high school diploma. And he wasn't even a kid who we thought maybe was on the verge if we hired a bunch of tutors through the years. We knew and we quickly accepted it. Now for younger moms, getting that high school diploma sounds like an amazing accomplishment and milestone, and it is. But how do you know if it's right? How do you know if that's what's best for your child? And so we have two great experts on the show today, and we're going to dive into this topic and help you navigate. Thanks for listening. We're going to dive right in with Kristen and Gwen, our two experts on the show today, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves and their background. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Gwen. Hi. Hi, Jessica. I'll go first. So this is Kristen. I've been working with uh, adults and children with disabilities since 99. Got my start in Maryland and then headed out to California and um, pursued my interest in ABA and became a BCBA. A few years back, I had the opportunity to pick up advocacy. It was very serendipitous, but um, I met my now husband and his son had some pretty significant needs. And so I kind of jumped in and learned on the fly and just totally fell in love with it. So love working with people like Gwen because we we kind of mesh our uh, areas of expertise. Yeah. Uh, Gwen Palafox. I'm a clinical psychologist here in sunny Southern California. Gosh, I've been really kind of laser focused with supporting and empowering individuals on the disability and autism spectrum for over two decades. In the last decade, though, I have become obsessed with transition. And specifically, how do we successfully transition our adolescents to a joyful, sustainable adulthood that they can call their own? And so much like Kristen, kind of meeting the needs of the time, you know, um, I really learned a lot on the fly as well when it comes to transition. I'd always done, you know, very comprehensive psychoeducational assessments. And then when my clients started getting these transition assessments and, and receiving transition plans at school, and I was reading them and becoming more and more dissatisfied and upset with what I was reading and seeing what was happening after they left the district, I just realized like I needed to pivot after 
the like massive generosity of many of my colleagues who who focus on vocational rehabilitation. Um, they really helped me shape and pivot my psychoed assessments to transition assessments. So um, it's kind of a psychologist uh, take, I guess, on transition. Um, so I do that for a lot of time, and then I do a lot of um, parent and uh, coaching and individual coaching, adult coaching. Fantastic. Oh my gosh. Thank you both so much. Anyone who chooses to work in this field, I applaud. I thank you. I think you are angels and we need more of you. So thank you. Let's get into the topic. How do we as parents know that getting a high school diploma is what's best for our child? Because in the state of California, when you get your high school diploma, you say goodbye to the school district. And if you don't get a high school diploma, you get to stay till you're 22. And that's our case with Ryan. And I'm very, very grateful to have a few more years. He's a senior this year. So where do we begin? Well, I can, I can say after looking at a lot of transition assessments, and when I say transition, I'm doing air quotes for assessments because um, sadly, a lot of school districts aren't really assessing the way they should be um, for to determine, you know, the trajectory of a child, to determine the supports that are need, needed, to determine goals that are appropriately ambitious for them. Um, and so this is kind of where Dr. Palafox comes in because I rely on people like her to really deeply dive into what that child's potential is. Um, really examining in a very comprehensive way and directly as assessing, including all parties like parents are kind of important uh, advocates for their children, <laughs> and they're so often excluded. Um, and so what I want to say before Dr. Palafox goes into her very cool uh, take on, on transition assessments is just um, start them as early as possible. So I kind of, I kind of prep parents, you know, the school may not do a fantastic job and California state law says you don't have to have an assess a transition plan in place until the child is 16. Go ahead and ask for it at 14. Of course, these things you're going to be thinking about leading up to 14, but that's really when it's formalized and these big decisions are being made. So start it as early as you can. And, and if you have to disagree with that transition plan, then you haven't wasted too much time and you can get experts um, like Gwen to do an independent evaluation. I appreciate that because I want our audience to know, especially for moms who are earlier in their journey, to really think about this a lot sooner and be prepared a lot sooner. You know, um, I kind of look at transition in regards to like, the question of to diploma or not to diploma, we need to look at it very functionally. There, I, I, I do think that formalizing the plan, and really that's what assessments do, you know, they, they really formalize a question or a few questions that parents might have why the evaluation's occurring. But in transition, parents need to do a little bit of crystal balling in regards to like, what do I imagine based on the conversations I've had with my adolescent, based on the observations I have, based on my like mom spidey sense that I have that is so strong, where do I see them thriving, right? What does that look like? And then to really reverse engineer to see if a diploma is actually gonna serve that function. So diplomas are really great to serve the function of college, 
I mean, that's really what it is. And I think there's this thing that um, our society has, or culturally some cultures might have, which is this very strong attachment to the collegiate experience. And, you know, the college experience isn't always the most um, efficacious or right path for a student. You know, um, many of my students that I assess, uh, they don't like academic work. They just don't. It's hard, right? They're working really hard. They're looking, they're seeing their peers and they're like, why am I working so hard? And why am I working harder? It's not their sweet spot by any means. And so I really do look at that uh, piece, which is, you know, do you like the academic setting? Does that come easy to you? That's really something to ask yourself. Many of my clients, um, the things that they want to do don't necessarily require a high school diploma. Um, and so you really do, I think, in order to answer that question, you do need to go one to two years beyond high school, and then you need to back up that way. So that's what I would recommend to parents. Can you sit down and really think about where you see your kiddo, your adolescent after this, where are they going to be happy? Where are they going to thrive? And is the diploma absolutely necessary? I'd say the secondary question there, because the laws change, you know, when you're, you know, you're at the district and then you leave the district, you go from educational IDEA, you know, law to federal like ADA law. And so here we go, that changes funding sources. And so that knowledge that, you know, when a district has awarded a diploma to a student is typically the end point of the district's responsibility. That is critical information to have because many of my clients would benefit from an, from an additional three more years, let's say here in California, 22. Um, they, would, they would benefit from an additional three years of um, training in independent skills or vocational skills. Yeah. And, and, and once, you, once you switch to regional center supports, you know, they're, they're really not that... <laughs> comprehensive. And so I always advise parents, please, please maximize the supports that you can obtain through the school district to the greatest extent possible. Because once you leave, I mean, thank goodness there are self-determination programs now. So there's a little bit more flexibility, but that's also a lot of work. <laughs> so um, yeah. And, and if you're trying to maximize, but you're only just frustrated with the process in junior year of high school, you're not giving yourself a lot of time to um, deal with those timelines, which can be really cumbersome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And coordinating that, just kind of going back to what you're saying, Kristen, we want to look at like when you're at the district and you're receiving all of your services at the district, we would consider that a centralized treatment model, right? All, most, if not all of your services are being done in one place and being coordinated by a team. There's a strength to that if you've been supported by a very strong team and, you know, and all those services are happening in one place, right? When you leave the district, everything becomes decentralized. I mean, unless you go to a program, obviously, and, you know, by this time, I will say the parents that I'm working with are tired. They're getting tired of coordinating resources, coordinating. And now you go to either self-determination or not self-determination, go to regional center. The parent is still then really saddled with hubbing all of the services and coordinating all of the services on that team. So that's just another consideration. 
Right. And if you can delay that process by three or four years, why not? Right. So let's backtrack a little because I'm just curious because this question comes up. Why is it that if a kid is able to somehow manage to get the diploma, and I mean, not a kid who who didn't have to have modifications, who does have, you know, maybe an IEP or a 504 or what have you, with help and with support and with modification, if they're able to get that diploma, but yet they would clearly benefit from four years, three years of a transition program. Why, why can't kids do both? Because there are kids who need the gift of that time. And it, it just seems that it should be available, but maybe that's just pie in the sky. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question because, I mean, you know, you also have to consider who, and maybe this is just requires sort of a a cultural shift, gosh, a a systemic shift. I know a lot of parents who wouldn't want their kids to necessarily go to those transition programs because um, the kids who do go there are so different maybe from their child. And so they're thinking, well, is that community going to be an appropriate community for my child? Will the expectations be appropriately ambitious? And that's something to weigh out too. Um, yeah, and, and there, there, there are many different pieces to this giant, scary puzzle. And, you know, to Gwen's point, you, you can't look into a crystal ball. And, and so much of it's like balancing, well, have I done what I need to do early on? So I'm, I have data to make good decisions based on that. And am I also following my, my parental gut instinct, which is very important? It, you know, it, that readiness can, can start being tackled at a very young age in elementary school, in middle school. And I can kind of chime in if, if Gwen, you want to run with that readiness piece, I can chime in as to how you would uh, get your child there through the IEP advocacy process. Yeah. You know, kind of going back to that reverse engineering, right? We need to see if someone's ready for the experiences that we imagine them to be in after high school or that post, you know, high school experience. From a collegiate standpoint, we're going to look at three areas of readiness, which is like your living skills, your academic skills, and your social emotional skills. If someone's going to be successful, what we know from the data anyway, is at 10th grade, reading, writing, math, without remediation, is really the lowest level that we want to see if you're going to be going into a degree-seeking college education. That's not saying that you can't go to college and get a certificate of completion or go for edification, right? So some of my clients want the collegiate experience. We know that academically that they're not going to be taking classes, but they're going to be taking other classes on campus, maybe for audit, uh, maybe for fun, and sometimes for credit, right? They could take a PE class for credit. They could take an art class for credit. So again, we, we need to look at the needs of that person and what they believe you know, Kristen highlighted something which is really informed choice, right? Do you have the data that you need in order to make the choices at that time that are best for you and your family at that time, given your resources at the time, right? Doing the best we can with what we got when we're when we need it, right? Informed choice does come down to, I think, very clearly knowing where your adolescent skills lie. Because when you move into the adult world, skills are everything. Where you lack skills, you need support. So 
to Kristen's point, you can work on skills early. I would say if you're going to load on any skill or focus on any skill, I'd go social emotional skills and executive functioning skills. Those would be the two main kind of suites of skills I would focus on over any other suite of skills because those are the skills. Yep. Those are the skills that we know our adults will thrive. They'll thrive with those skills no matter what setting they're in. And then the job becomes technical. That's just technical you know, technical training, but readiness, knowing where your kid is, taking audits of their behavior, their skills, um, knowing maybe what kind of adult skills are necessary. Those are important things to understand. So you know what to work on, you know, in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. Yeah, because those those pivotal skills are going to lead to greater benefits. You know, I just see X exponential progress made when you hit growth mindset at a really young age and you're teaching persistence and you're teaching coping and you're teaching on the executive functioning side, organization and planning and problem solving. These are life skills and they will be applied across all areas of development and growth. Oh, that's so good. It's so good. If we have parents listening and they're saying, I don't know if I have enough data points to make an informed decision about my child's future. What do you think is, is critical? Obviously they know a lot because they know their child and they're probably an expert on their child, right? But there's an emotional component, right? About making that decision. And how do we not let the emotions get in the way of what is actually best for our child? Yeah, that's why we pull in those experts and maybe even friends I can tell you, I, I I can't personally advocate for my stepson. I find it completely emotionally draining. And so I ask for help and I get it. It's hard to look at your own child or family member with that kind of perspective, open perspective. And so, yeah, call in the experts, call in the friends who can bounce ideas off of you and give you good assessment results. Yeah. I mean, I think a formal framework is always the thing to rely on when emotions are at play or when psychological reactivity is is a potential, right? And when it comes to our own children, that's definitely there. I mean, speaking as a mother myself, I definitely have blinders where I'm like, I've lost my mind. I would say you go to a professional, you go to someone that can do a transition assessment. I mean, like even for me, I do a, a like a class, a parenting class on transition and give parents tools for how to evaluate what are the steps, what are the skills that my kid needs or what adult who, what adults need really across the living, working and learning areas. And I'm not the only person who does that, but anyone that's going to be focusing on that launch is going to have a good idea about what readiness looks like. Another question that came to me recently was, okay, what if I hold my kid back, so to speak, like he doesn't take a class or two senior year so that he doesn't get his diploma because I want him to have three or four more years in the transition program. Can he then go back and get his GED and then go on to take college courses? Is that a route that some parents do take? Is it hard to do the GED if you're not a great test taker? I mean, how would you answer that? Gosh, that I don't know. I don't know how hard the GED is. And and to be honest with you, I don't know from um, an accommodation standpoint what you can ask for for a GED. Um, But of course, it doesn't hurt (laughs) to ask. But I don't know. Gwen, do you know? You know, 
it's almost like you might not even need to go that route. I'll speak for students in California, just because I'm, I'm familiar with our laws here. If you are cared for under an IEP and you want to go to, let's say, a community college, a local community college, um, you can enter that setting without a high school diploma or a GED with accommodations that follow you. Many of my many of my clients do that. They try on college as, you know, they try it on. They throw it at the wall. They see what happens. They still might live at home because maybe they can then reserve some of their bandwidth or all of their bandwidth for that change of environment and demand, let's just say. If they're finding success in that, then transferring to a four-year university is easy from that point. I like that route. Um, it, it doesn't test and most of my clients don't do well with standardized testing. It does not play to their strengths at all. If anything, I think it just amplifies the fact that testing is hard for them versus like their true knowledge, their true fund of knowledge in IQ or cognitive level. So that would be my recommendation. You know, um, it's, it's an easier route. You know, the other thing that parents might want to know about the collegiate experience is that there is a difference between accommodations and supports. And at the collegiate level, there aren't a ton of accommodations. You know, a lot of students can come out of the high school setting with 20, 25 program accommodations. At the collegiate setting, you're really looking at maybe three, max four, those being note taker, extended time, the potential to take your class maybe or your tests or quizzes in a different space if you're too overwhelmed. Um, and that's really about it. You still need to show proof that you would need those accommodations. And then everything else, like if you need someone to go with you one-on-one, -on -one, that's considered a support. You need executive functioning or executive coaching, that's, in, that's a support. Those things are not provided by the, the school uh, or the college. So, you know, things change quite a bit, actually, as we look at supports really do drop when you move into the adult world and you exit the district setting. So maybe the other way to look at to diploma or not to diploma, how much support is your adolescent getting in high school? And if there is a significant amount with a significant amount of therapeutic kind of interventions, PT, OT, O&M, maybe as just some of the few, you know, there may be another consideration to stay. I wanted to throw out there too, there is, um, and Gwen might know more about this, but there is a supported community college on campus experience too. So, you know, if, if you're going to El Camino and you're just commuting, that's, that's one way to go. But there's also, I think in Long Beach, right? Um, they have the on-campus living with support to ju just provide that opportunity to to adjust. Yeah, I mean, in Pasadena, we have College to Career at PCC, and then we've got College Connect at, at other colleges. So, like every, so a lot of our community colleges have that additional support where you know they might have classes and individual coaching, um, as well as helping them manage or to kind of navigate DSPS. Would you say that across the United States that it's the same way, maybe it's age 21 versus age 22, that you get to stay in the school district, that once you get your high school diploma in the other states, you are then, you are, you've graduated from the school district in your town? Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. There's like some slight differences across states uh, when your extended time in uh, high school ends, like on your 22nd birthday or through the spring of the year of your 22nd birthday, all of those, but yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Anything you didn't say that you want to say real quick to our listeners before we go? 
or your favorite resources uh, on this topic besides yourselves? I think the one take-home message I have is we have an idea about what the trajectory should look like for our kids. And what we need to do is take a step back from that and really approach this journey with a, with an open mind. And the thing is, is we need to be creative. We need to think outside of the box. We need to ask for things that we may expect a no in response, but we have to ask and document and push and advocate because it will always be no until it's not. And if we persist, then then good things hopefully will come of it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Agreed. I would say to have a mindset of curiosity versus judgment and to schedule a time in which you attend to transition. You know, there's that old adage, what gets, um, what gets managed is measured or what's measured is managed. And it's something that happens. I find that parents sometimes become surprised by the transition and it brings such a great deal of suffering and anxiety that uh, I'd love for parents to avoid that by starting early and saying, you know, I'd like to just kind of engage in a, in a formal process every year on, on my child's birthday, on the new year, every six months, on IEP reporting times, that I'm checking in about what skills I'm thinking about to be really critical or pivotal for them to be learning. And am I providing the opportunities for that to happen? Oh, this was such a good episode. This is so helpful. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We will make sure that we have in our show notes how people can find you if they need you, because I know they need you. And thanks for being on the show. Please subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you want to connect with other moms who get it, join our international tribe and sisterhood at wearebravetogether.org. And remember, always, you are not alone.